Carrie. Welcome to another episode of Disrupting Death. Thank you. It's again a pleasure to be here and it's a privilege because today we're talking to two incredible women guests. We're talking with Lauren Clark and Chelsea Petal, who are both affiliated with Bridge C14. And Bridge C14 is one of those grassroots organizations that I have really appreciated watching grow over the last few years. Bridge C14 is a network of peer-to-peer -peer connections and community support through all stages of medical assistance in dying. Lauren is a social worker and a huge advocate for people who are looking at accessing MAID in Canada. She has been integral in developing and growing Bridge C14. And I'm excited to both hear from her and Chelsea. Chelsea, who's from Victoria, where I think Lauren will be zooming at us from Ottawa, who has some personal experience in medical assistance in dying, alongside herself being a death doula and looking at developing her skills in the area of psychotherapy. All of that is incredibly exciting and it's enthralling. I love that you've used the term grassroots. These are two individuals I feel that are pushing our boundaries forward and helping us realize that we do have to bridge those gaps that we're seeing in Canadian society. Made having been legislated since 2016, realizing that supports are necessary and that what those supports look like and when they're offered are two really big things that we have to consider collectively as Canadians. What supports are on offer? And I'm excited to hear what Bridge C14 is up to these days. Me too. So let's go and get that conversation going. Excellent. So great to have everyone here. So let's just get ourselves warmed up a little bit. And um, I did a panel on Sunday night. This is why we have editors, because I'll ramble a little bit. And then when we get to a point where it sounds like we're having a conversation as opposed to a forced question answer thing. So we did this panel at this place in Thunder Bay called Goods & Co., which is like becoming this community hub place. And we had an MC who was retired from CBC. And her opening question for our group was, so why did you get interested in MAID? And I was like, huh. Like, I was surprised at how hard that was to answer. <laughs> and so guess what? That's our opening question. <laughs> Lauren or Chelsea, whoever wants to start, what got you interested in MAID? I appreciate you both have backgrounds of working with people at the end of life in different settings as a social worker in a hospital. And Chelsea, you'll let us know a little bit more about your work in psychotherapy. So what is it about MAID that captured your interest? I think it's a great question. Um, and actually, for me, it's really easy uh, to answer this one. Um, so in my professional role as a social worker at the Ottawa Hospital, I was actually supporting a patient who learned that her cancer had become quite advanced. And she was very clear in her intentions that she did not want to prolong her life. Um, this was actually all pre-legislation as well. So she sought the support of a judge to help make that decision around medical assistance in dying. And as part of her journey, she actually asked, Lauren, will you be by my side? 
And so this was very much new territory for us at the hospital. This was the first time that we were uh, going to be involved in someone's made provision. And it was, you know, I, I still remember back to that day and it was, you know, a cool sunny Thursday in April, you know, this was seven years ago and here I am, you know, I can think back to that exact moment uh, that made sort of became a part of my life. And uh, from there, I became a strong advocate and a champion for the role of social work in MAID. I saw the opportunity and the need to have that psychosocial support built in to this program. And I helped to create a pre-made psychosocial assessment that we still use at the hospital as part of our MAID program, but it's also been adapted across the country, uh, which I think is pretty amazing. So that really started for me, um, sort of that interest and passion for supporting through assisted dying. And it really led me to working quite extensively in this area now and volunteering with Bridge C14. That's great, Lauren. And as one social worker to another, I think our profession has a significant role in supporting and advocating around medical assistance in dying. And I'm going to say I'm a little bit disappointed in terms of how social work has not shown up in this uh, space very well. I know we don't necessarily do enough education, I don't think many social workers are fully informed um, around the legislation. And I also don't think we necessarily advocate for enough of it. So thank you for leading the way in that. And that's much appreciated. How about you, Chelsea? What got you interested in MAID? Well, I really appreciate just getting straight to it. I think, um, you know, Lauren and I, we love talking about this and we don't often get a chance to just really dig in and go for it. So thanks for the space to do that. Um, for me, I came to MAID through the way many Bridge C14 volunteers come to MAID is through a personal experience, through lived experience. So my mom was diagnosed with a glioblastoma brain tumor in 2019 and immediately wanted to know about MAID. She just wanted to know what her options were. Um, and uh, she did eventually end up completing MAID three months later. So I had the, the privilege, the honor of walking with her through that time. Um, but it's interesting that you know, this idea of personal autonomy and choice had been a part of my life, my family life for a really long time. And I remember as a, a young teenager sitting around our dinner table talking about Sue Rodriguez, one of the pioneering advocates for dying with dignity. And so this, yeah, was in the early 90s. And um, my mom was always curious about my opinion, curious about social justice. So these conversations were a part of our lives for a very, very long time which I think was one of the things that helped us navigate things with a little bit of grace, I think, uh, when we were actually in, in the thick of it, when MAID presented itself to us. That personal experience piece as being part of the motivation, but also recognizing the larger need that many of us have for our own sense of autonomy and that desire to, in difficult periods of our life, maintain some sort of sense of control. Yeah, yeah. So... Lauren, you've already mentioned Bridge C14. Can you tell us a little bit about that organization? What does it do? What kind of gaps does it fill? Why should Canadians pay attention to Bridge C14? Sure. So it all actually started back in March of 2017. Um, I had the opportunity to meet with Jan Ditchfield, and she and I were going to present at a conference together. 
Jan sat down in my office and poured out her loving devotion to her mom through her maid story and the legacy that she wanted to leave in terms of building supports in a peer-based way to help others with that lived experience, um, much as Chelsea reflected on, you know, it just having that support to be able to connect with others and how valuable that lived experience truly can be. And so Jan proposed this idea of creating a nonprofit and I said, sign me up. And so I joined its founding board of directors. We launched in November of 2017. And in June of 2019, I actually took over at the helm. Um, and it has been, it's been the most amazing thing to sort of come into my life. And, uh, you know, what we have created is access to a network of supports that are peer-based that focus on the psychosocial aspects. So really what it comes down to, and people often say, what does Bridge C14 actually mean? Like, where did that name come from? It was about bridging the gaps between the medical side of MAID and the need for that peer-based psychosocial support in a compassionate, safe, supportive way. And we've sort of really grown throughout the years in terms of the direction uh, that we've moved into. We are now at a place where we are supporting individuals across all stages of MAID. So we have, for those who are choosing, we have supports for those who are supporting someone who is pursuing MAID. We have supports for those who are grieving a MAID loss. And then as you touched on, Kathy, it's that need for education. And so what we've developed is a program for helping professionals and volunteers to be able to learn about how do they best support on the front lines, those who are coming through their doors who have been touched by MAID in some way. So it really is all about bridging the gap, ensuring that people feel seen, heard, supported, that their dignity and choice is respected, um, and that they just have a soft place to land when everything else feels overwhelming or isolating. And this is just their opportunity to be able to find connections and a community of supports around them. That's excellent. And I really love that bridging the gap with a soft space to land. So where do you see most of the people who access Bridge C14 are coming from? Like at what stage? It really is a mix. I think because we have now expanded to all, it really is sort of they're all equally accessed. And I think it's amazing. And it's interesting because these groups have all grown from one another. Uh, so, you know, initially it was this focus on how do we build support for those who are grieving a made loss? You know, that's where Jan started that we thought, okay, let's start there. And then it was, well, we need support before. We know that, you know, preparation ahead of time, that engagement with someone who has that lived experience can be so beneficial. So we expanded to there. And then it was, well, now we need to expand to those who are actually choosing this. So we see people come in from all walks of life, from all across the country, um, even outside of Canada, who say, you know, in my home country, this is not well known. Um, my experience is different. But at the end of the day, I can appreciate where you're coming in and what that perspective has been like. So um, it's it's amazing to see like the contacts that are made with the organization. And I think the hardest thing to hear is, I wish I had known about you sooner. Um, and certainly if we can get that message across that there is support 
sooner. Um, and, you know, we're always happy to have people find us. But yes, I do wish it could have been right from the beginning. Yes, that upstream piece for sure. Absolutely. Thank you, Lauren, for that. And I want to kind of touch on a couple of things as as I move into the next thing I'd really like to know from both of you. And I want to revisit what you shared about your mom, Chelsea. And with a diagnosis of glioblastoma, we're talking about expedience, right? We're talking about time. We're talking about having access to supports yesterday, right? So, um, what I was hoping to ask both of you next, and perhaps Chelsea can lead us off, is with a diagnosis like glioblastoma, peer-to-peer supports would be very important, of course, overall. But why is peer-to-peer support vital for people who are considering, opting, and grieving with medical assistance and dying? Why is that peer-to-peer support so vital in MAID? I think um, because it's such a new experience and because of the stigma that people experience, there's a real hesitation to share, you know, people's hopes, their fears, their concerns, their wishes. And so people need that receptive audience. They need that sense of understanding. Made applicants in particular, and anyone who's ill really, are so often asked to explain themselves over and over and over again. And so having that foundation of shared understanding through a peer-based relationship, I think it just starts people off on a really great foot. Um, I don't know, Lauren, what else do you find as you're observing our programs? I think it reduces the isolation. And Chelsea, you know, I think what you're touching on is really that, that ability to come, to move out of the shadows, I think that have been sort of inherent and made because it is so new. There are, you know, a lot of myths and misconceptions about it. And the conversations are sort of, you walk on eggshells sometimes. And I think it's just that ability to let your guard down, to speak to someone who says, you know what, I I acknowledge where you're coming in. I've felt that normalizing. Um, And a lot of people, what they find is this is their chance to just have validation for their own experience, but also for decisions that have been made. Um, without the need to argue or be faced with sort of a defensiveness. Um, It really just is a place to share openly and honestly uh, whether their experience was positive for them or if it was something that challenged them uh, or created complications in their grief. It's just this shared appreciation for that. And some of the stumbling blocks and barriers to accessing support or to talking about MAID in general. Certainly the feedback we found is, again, that reduction of the isolation, that ability to find new coping strategies as well, and that shared learning. Yeah. I think what I love in particular about what you've both shared is when we had the privilege of being with you at the conference in November, uh, Lauren, and you shared the quote, some of the most comforting words in the universe are me too. And what I particularly love about that is that idea that that what you're talking about, that shared learning, but also that shared space where you where you don't necessarily have to read the room with the scrutiny that you might have to if you were perhaps the only person who was thinking medical assistance and dying, et cetera. And I think that's absolutely vital. It also speaks to that wonderful point you made about the peer-to-peer groups growing from those original groups, which means that you've created a space where people feel empowered and comfortable 
to reach across to another squishy human and say, do you know what? I know of a group where you might feel very much like you want to be a part and how wonderful that you're able to do those things. It really becomes that place where it is that we speak the same language. We just get it. We just get it. There's something that resonates so nicely in itself with that. You know, people come in and they aren't sure what to expect. Uh, Perhaps this is the first time they've acknowledged that this is a loss that was because of a decision around made. And I think that there's comfort in that. And again, that branching off of these peer connections that spur off into their own personal lives, right? That you can see that peer connection continuing to grow outside of the walls of Bridge C14. Again, we've bridged back to the community. Um, It's a really, it's a beautiful visualization when you think of it that way is just creating uh, this continuity of care. Absolutely. I'll expand on that. We've had participants talk about going to other support groups in the community for their condition or disease-based groups, whether it's cancer or Parkinson, and receiving really fabulous support there. But the moment they start talking about their mortality, about death, about MAID in particular, the entire room just shuts down. Everyone gets uncomfortable. And so they show up in a Bridge C14 space, a drop-in group, And there's that level of acceptance. People are there because they want to talk about it. This is one of the only spaces in their lives where they can really express freely what they're experiencing and get that information, get that support in a non-stigmatizing kind of way. And I bet that support goes two ways in some situations. Like you've got your volunteers who are the peers with the experience and who offer the support but also potentially receive some validation in terms of their own experiences. And maybe even in some situations, the fact that MAID is becoming maybe a little bit less stigmatized or we're learning more about the process or there's more supports available, that when they can contribute to that improvement, that might be some benefit. So what do you hear from those people who are on the supportive side, the people who are giving the support at Bridge C14? Our volunteers are, they are the most dedicated group because they really, as you said it, Kathy, they get so much from this for their own growth and their own grieving, right? Grief never disappears. So the ability to kind of reflect on their own grief experience through the months, through the years that they've been with the organization, many say, you know, I still will participate at a drop-in or I'll facilitate a 10-week group and I walk away feeling more confident in my grief journey, where I'm at and how I'm coping and also areas where maybe I haven't spent enough time and need to go back. Um, And so they learn and grow through this as well. And they keep coming because it's the sense of being able to give back, but also to receive. And it's a great reciprocal relationship, um, I think they have. And it's tremendous uh, how many say, this is the best thing that I could do. I wasn't sure if I was ready, but I'm seeing that it's okay to also not always be ready and to go into this with an open mind. And they walk away with it feeling so empowered. And what a lovely gift to both be able to give and, and to receive. And now you've mentioned it a couple of times about your drop-in group. And Carrie Lynn and I, of course, checked out your website and saw the calendar. And you have a drop-in group. So can you tell us a little bit about what that's like? 
Certainly. So we do offer drop-in groups uh, throughout the month. Um, it initially started back in the summer of 2021. Um, it really, what we were finding was people were trying to sign up for one of our 10-week groups. And either one was already going on or there was going to be a delay in terms of our next uh, scheduled uh, group starting. People needed this in between, sort of as maintenance or a space to just connect that maybe wasn't as structured, um, that they can kind of pop in, pop out, don't always have to commit. And so I, you know, we thought, what about drop-in sessions? So we initially started those who were grieving a made loss, hosted a few, popularity grew, and people thought, okay, this is really good. So we thought, well, this is working well with this group. Let's move into those who are supporting someone choosing made. And that in combination with some open sessions where it was, you could come in from any stage and hear from one another where people are at and what they're sort of struggling or grappling with at that given moment. And then it was, you know, people said, well, I'm supporting my person who's choosing made. What about that person? You know, they also could really benefit uh, from a drop-in session. So we expanded it to those who are pursuing made. Uh, so in these 60-minute sessions, people come in, you know, they can choose to have their camera on, they can choose to keep it off, they don't have to participate, it's all voluntary. We have some regulars uh, who often will come to the sessions, who welcome the new members in, these new faces, encourage them to share, um, sort of acknowledge that it can be overwhelming that first time, you're not sure what to expect, but they have really, I think it's mostly these participants who come to our drop-in sessions who bring the conversation and move that conversation forward. Um, it's very fluid and dynamic and the facilitators are there to help guide, but in essence, it's these peers just sharing um, that they see, you know, there's, there's times where you can see someone coming in who is really, you know, they're having a really tough time by the end of the session, they have breathed this almost sigh of relief that it's okay to not have to have you know, these expectations around how quickly to grieve, um, you know, about this silence that's sometimes been put on them from their own support networks in terms of talking about MAID. And so, you know, you see this, okay, this is good. And those, they come back, they talk to others about it. Um, it's been a really amazing thing to have added into our programming and we would love to expand it. The need is there. People are asking for, you know, sessions weekly. Um, for the most part, we're hosting them bi-weekly. And so, you know, with, you know, time, uh, space, that is really our hope is to have these ongoing. That's wonderful. It's incredible, again, to go back to that issue of access and accessibility. You're talking about being able to be present on screen, but as present as you feel comfortable. And I think that's so important. I want to um, go back to your peer volunteers and working within a hospice situation and being involved in some volunteer recruitment. One of the questions that comes up from some of the volunteers that I've spoken with is, I really want to be a volunteer with your organization because I feel like I can walk the talk but I'm a little bit afraid of having to keep going back to my own grief, et cetera. 
I, I'm wondering if either of you could talk to that idea that when people want to volunteer with Bridge C14, what kinds of things are you hopeful that they can receive or be supported with, with their own kind of MAID-related issues? So we've actually implemented a number of different uh, ways to really support our volunteers, recognizing that this isn't easy. Uh, not only are you hearing stories from others and sort of soaking that in and trying to be that listening ear for these individuals, but you're right, it touches on their own grief and that experience and brings them back to that. And so we do debriefing with all of our volunteers. So they have the ability to connect with either myself or if they're co-facilitating a drop-in session, we do like to have two facilitators if we can. They connect with one another afterwards to check in. How are you doing? They know that it really is an open book policy with the organization that if you're struggling, if something has hit a little closer to home and you want to talk about it, we are here for you. You are part of our peer support network. And that is what we strive to do is build the connections for them to feel that this is also a safe place to reflect on their grief. And when it's maybe touched again, a little too close to home is to say, okay, you're here. Um, we will help you. And our volunteers are, again, anyone coming in can say, you know what? I know I have a buddy through this. And that's really what we want them to feel, but also to know that Again, we have training available to support them, that this is at their time commitment based on their schedule, when it's right, whatever capacity they have to give. And even with our 10-week groups, we have new volunteers who come on and we have them shadowed. So they are not sort of at the forefront from their get-go. It's You can learn from how other facilitators do this and again, debrief afterwards, but what that experience is like and perhaps maybe facilitating isn't the right fit at this point. We have other ways to volunteer with the organization that aren't as at the front lines type of thing. Wonderful. Thank you. It sounds like Bridge C14 has been groundbreaking from the get-go in terms of recognizing and bridging the gap for people who have experience made through accompanying them to thinking about the importance of peer-to-peer -peer support, particularly in this specific arena. And now I'm aware that you have just completed a pilot project, bringing together people who are, I use the term accessing MAID, but I think, Lauren, I like yours better, pursuing MAID. Sounds a little bit gentler and a little bit less healthcare oriented. So people who are pursuing MAID for themselves, and you have this group that has come together. Can you tell us a little bit about what that experience was like? And maybe Chelsea, you'll start us off. Yeah, absolutely. I also like that term pursuing because it also locates the power and the control with the person. So it, yeah, it was a thoughtful choice on our part. So this group that we've developed, uh, we're calling it Making the Most of Our Time. It's a meaning-centered group program for people pursuing MAID. And Really what we were seeing, like all of our work at Bridge C14, it originated with our participants, with the information that we were gleaning from them through the drop-in programs. And while those drop-in programs were giving fabulous support, a really great space for people to exchange information and tips for navigating the MAID process, uh, psychosocial support, we were seeing the need for a higher level of psychosocial support, especially seeing people grapple with more 
existential kinds of themes that grasping for finding meaning through suffering, um, defining what their purpose is as they're living as they are dying. And um, sometime in that timeline, the annual report on uh, medical assistance in dying in Canada came out. And that finding of, you know, the number one reason why people choose to complete their MAID is because they're no longer able to participate in meaningful activities. That kind of shored up this idea that we need to be offering some higher level psychosocial support around the meaning that people make of this time. So we decided to offer a group program and we kind of, you know, cast our net around to see what was out there that might support this population. And um, really, there was nothing. We discovered yet again, we're on the leading edge of this work. So we were fortunate to find a really highly researched program by Breitbart and Papito around meaning-centered therapy for people with advanced cancer. So we thought, okay, there's some parallels here. Let's, let's give it a try. So we put a call out to our Bridge C14 network of participants and had eight people and actually even more on the wait list come forward. And we were really, you know, honest with them about how we're trying something new here. And it was really heartening to see just how enthusiastically these people came forward, not only to find support for themselves around grappling with these existential issues, but also because they wanted to help create something for others. They saw their contribution, their participation in this program as part of their legacy, as a way for them to make meaning. Like the layers were just, were just stunning um, as we were working through this. So this group of eight participants, we really couldn't have asked for a more special group. They ranged in age from early 30s to late 80s, quite a range of different sexualities, genders, um, cultural and ethnic backgrounds, immigration status, and also different tracks, track one and track two. So they came together and we explored these different issues of meaning-making, legacy, how to cope with the journey, the made journey. And it was really an incredible experience. And so now we're kind of thinking, well, where, how, where can we take this? We know that there's a need. We know that this has helped to combat isolation. Um, one of the most surprising things, if I could just talk about one of the findings really briefly, was, you know, we weren't really sure how this program was going to affect people's relationship to MAID and their choice around MAID. We were hoping that it would improve their capacity to, to cope. We're hoping that it would improve their network, a sense of togetherness, combat isolation. But what we found was that a lot of the participants became more grounded in their values, became more confident in their capacity to make a choice that was in alignment with their values and their wishes. And so for some people, this looked like them choosing to stick around for a little bit longer, maybe to delay the date because they felt like they had an increased capacity to withstand the roller coaster of their life, their suffering. And for others, it, you know, helped them to decide that moving up their date was more appropriate for them. But regardless of what their choice was, and we have no agenda around people's choice, um, regardless of what they decided for themselves, pretty much all of the participants articulated this improved sense of peace, improved sense of confidence in being able to make this decision for what is right for them and their circumstances. Congratulations on, again, such a groundbreaking program. You know I'm a fan. 
And one of the things listening to you talk tells you that also got me excited is the fact that you're getting diverse representation to your groups, because I, I know we've all been interested in MADE for a while. And I know when I first started, it was pretty much white men in their 70s with a cancer diagnosis who were well-educated and pretty well-resourced accessing MADE. And what you're describing sounds a little bit more um, what we're seeing generally in most of our communities some diversity, cultural, gender, sexuality, all that kind of stuff. So are you noticing that change in the work that you're doing? And what do you think is contributing to that? Absolutely. And those values of diversity, inclusion, social justice are central to Bridge C14. So I think that the fact that we are already reaching out to our participants speaks to the amazing culture that Lauren and all of the volunteers have created at Bridge C14. And then also, as we were developing this program, we kept those values at the forefront. We try to be very thoughtful about our language. We try to be very thoughtful about the way that we're designing the activities so that it is inclusive, so that it is a supportive, rave space for a range of identities. So, yeah, I think it's a thoughtful process and it, it seems to be working to engage those diverse folks. That is so great to hear because... Accessing MAID, pursuing MAID, is the right of all Canadians over the age of 18. So I want to talk a little bit about kids in a moment. But you mentioned within this group that you have people who are pursuing track one and who are pursuing track two. And so the big difference, if I can summarize this really quickly, around the two different tracks is whether or not death is reasonably foreseeable. And so within the track two, it's generally people who have not been diagnosed with a terminal illness when death is expected to happen in a few weeks or months. And Lauren, I know you have worked within healthcare systems for quite some time, particularly a hospital setting. And I'm hearing from healthcare providers that track two has made medical assistance to dying a little bit more complex for people on a variety of levels. And I'm wondering, are you seeing that difference with Bridge C14? It sounds like you're mixing track one and track two together. I'm wondering how that's working. I think there's certainly overlapping themes between both tracks, but I think there are also some pretty unique differences between the two. I'm never one who likes to silo. Um, I really like things to be very much open and as open as we can be with certain parameters in place. But I think what we find is, yes, those who are track one, this is almost an easier decision. In some ways, they're more ready. Those who are track two are coming in. And for many of them, this has been a year, years in the making. This is not something that they've had to make a decision on, maybe more close to the date. This is something that has been on their mind for some time. Um, many with these chronic degenerative conditions that it really challenges uh, sort of their own perception of when will I know when I'm ready? Um, and I think that question mark exists and people come to, you know, certainly we see that in the drop-ins and it was touched on even in our meaning-centered group as well, is that larger question of, okay, how will I know? What will that time look like until then? Where I think when your death is more reasonably foreseeable, it's there, it's more 
at the forefront of many of the decisions they're making. Um, and one of our participants commented, you know, it's sort of been in the back pocket and you move it to the front pocket. And how do you know when to move made from back pocket to front pocket? One of, one of the things that I found really interesting with our group program was um, this kind of uh, hierarchy of suffering that a few of the track two participants came in with. This perception that because they were on track two, that their type of suffering was not as legitimate as a track one applicant's suffering. Um, and in their mind, you know, track one suffering was characterized by physical pain. And their suffering in track two was more of that existential or that cognitive degenerative condition. And, and this was several participants came in with that fear that maybe as track two, they weren't as worthy of accessing MAID. Also because uh, track two came in later in the legislation. And so there's some of this internalizing of, um, you know, the way that the legislation is rolling out and who fits, who deserves, who doesn't. And so it was really fascinating to be a part of those conversations. But ultimately... When we did our evaluation, all of the participants, even the ones that came in with these concerns, all expressed that they felt that suffering was suffering and they didn't want to judge other people's experiences or choices and that they greatly appreciated being able to witness diverse experiences of made, how people cope with different experiences of suffering. So that diversity became a real asset. Grouping track one and track two seemed to be an asset to the program. Yeah, thank you to you both. And I think that really speaks to that idea, again, of what you shared earlier about the knowledge transfer. So having them not siloed, that's the term that you use, Lauren, probably is really conducive to having those conversations that might be, say, prickly to begin with, you know, I'm, I'm this and you're that kind of thing, but then really maybe moving toward a greater understanding of an us in all of that. And I, I like, Lauren... When you were talking about the track two, feeling like there was something perhaps on the back burner and that they were um, contemplative and exploring what options were available and so forth. And my next question is for you, Chelsea, because I am also an end of life doula and very curious, both Kathy and myself, about how you went from being a health policy analyst to an end of life or death doula. And I'm really curious, both personally and professionally, about the role that a death doula has to play in medical assistance in dying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I like to call myself a recovering public servant. So I've, I worked, <laughs> worked in government for over 10 years and, um, you know, in policy roles ranging from community-based violence and crime prevention to my last role was in um, children's and maternal health. and. Basically, after working there for so many years, I felt like I wanted to get back into the community. I wanted to get back into relationships where I could be, you know, of direct service and have a little bit more control over, over my work life as well. I always had a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit, which you definitely need as a death doula. So, um, yeah, I quit my policy job kind of thinking, well, maybe I'll consult in health literacy and ended up going for coffee with a colleague who, for the very first time, introduced me to this idea of death doulas and that helping people to prepare for end of life um, might be a career option is something, you know, that we need in our community and our culture. And it terrified me because I had, like many of us, that death-denying impulse. I had unaddressed grief from deaths that had happened earlier in, in my life. Um, and so 
instead of turning away, I thought, well, let's see if this can be a marriage of my skills, my interests. And I spent about a year doing that work myself of kind of coming into right relationship with my own mortality as always learning how to guide others in doing that. The same way our Bridge C14 volunteers do. We're doing the work at the same time as we're being of service. And so, yeah, I just developed my business, Circle Space. And, um, you know, funnily enough, life brought my mom's illness to me about a year and a half into, into my work as an end-of-life planner. And I always think I got a real gift from the universe having that year and a half to prepare myself with my mom's death suddenly coming into my life. I'm not sure how I would have coped without having done that work. And so, yeah, so I started working as an end-of-life doula and was really inspired by my experience with my mom to specialize in supporting families that are pursuing MAID, that are experiencing MAID. So doulas in general, here's like the little the little doula spiel. <laughs> we offer non-medical support before, during, and after death. And doulas are just a really lovely potpourri of different skills and, and gifts. So depending on which doula you engage, you're going to get something different. For me, with my background in health policy, my skills come in system navigation. Like Lauren was talking about these silos that we expect people to navigate in times of great stress. Um, you know, I'm there to help people draw those resources around themselves to map out what their duties and responsibilities are, especially for family caregivers. And then also comfort planning is a really big part of my work as a doula. You know, how do we bring that physical, emotional, spiritual comfort as we're living, as we're dying? Um, and then the MAID process itself, this is where I really, um, it's always strange to say, but I really enjoy this work. It's just so fulfilling to work with families, especially families with children. This is where I focused a lot of my work, where there's a grandparent that is pursuing MAID. And the family needs to decide what do they tell the kids? How do they engage the children in that person's death? Is it healthy for them to be present? And then how do they support the family grief afterwards? So looking at child-friendly language to explain these really complex things, looking at ritual, helping them to design the day to choreograph their maid. You know, what do they want that last day to be like? The foods, how do they say goodbye? Where do they want it to be? Is there music, poetry? And then also being there for that continuous support. I find that people pursuing MAID, one of the biggest complaints they have is that there is a lack of continuous support from start to finish for themselves and for their loved ones. And so a doula really can fulfill that role. We've got that ease, that flexibility to move with the family, to move with the individual from beginning to end. Thank you. That's really helpful. And, and thinking about where children fit into that, because I often think when we have discussions around medical assistance and dying, because it's only legal at this point for people who are over 18, that sometimes we forget that children are part of our family structures as well. And we've spoken with Cynthia Clark, um, who shared a lot about how her family supported her husband and one another as they moved throughout the maid process. And of course, she spoke to and again, I like your term about choreographing the death and where the children were part of that. And so does Bridge C14 offer support for children as well as part of your programming? Not yet. Absolutely a hope of ours to be able to expand to offering, whether it be specific supports for children or teens or more educational resources. 
And so, you know, I look to Chelsea as being an expert in this. And there are a number of really amazing people that have a lot of terrific experience in terms of helping to support children. So at this point in time, we direct back out to some of those other community partners, Virtual Hospice, Andrea Warnick, some of those experts that are in the field. But we would love to have this be part of our peer connections and part of our programming. And I can imagine as Bridge C14 continues to grow and continues to fill the gap and to be part of that space that there's lots of different areas for you to be able to grow into. And so that leads us to this idea that we're hearing a lot in the media, both news and social media, about MAID and mental health. And I think all of us are fully aware at this point that the federal government has pressed pause for another year on allowing people to pursue MAID or access, it might be the better word in this situation, to access MAID where mental health is their primary diagnosis or reason for wanting to have MAID. So has this impacted the work that you do at this point when you're talking about your drop-in group? Have you seen any changes in people who participate? Anything there? Most definitely. We have had an increase, particularly when the pause button was hit. The inbox filled out very quickly to say, I'm frustrated. I'm angry. Uh, I don't agree. You know, what can we do about this? And you know, one of the things at Bridge C14 that we don't necessarily do is advocacy work. We turn to Dying with Dignity Canada, who is a champion in that area. But what we have done is expanded our drop-in sessions to allow these individuals to join who are contemplating, whether it be because it's mental health as a sole condition, or if they're just in those early stages of trying to navigate is made, you know, what is made and, and how will this fit into my life? So participants have been starting to come in uh, who are in those those early days and saying, it's wonderful to hear from all of the other participants, but I don't feel it's in keeping with what's happening for me. And again, we talk about, you know, that lived experience and that appreciation and acknowledgement. It's there, but it's not quite the same. That relatability, that language isn't necessarily at the same level. So, you know, I think one of the things we are starting to think about is, do we create a space for those to come in in a drop-in session uh, forum, let's say, because that works. But we want to make sure that it's also receptive to some of the challenges that may be what's driving some of these individuals to come to the sessions and making sure our volunteers are all equipped with resources. Um, I actually received an email this week, and I'd love to read it out because I think this also talks to what the experience is like for individuals and why Bridge C14 can't do this alone. So this came in from a gentleman named Rick and it reads, I see a professional therapist and attend support groups. However, all of those in my circles of support are opposed to me as an option for mental suffering. I think beyond the understandable moral implications of me, they perhaps see this as opening a Pandora's box or are threatened by it not understanding there will be strong protections in place for those with treatable suicidal ideations. He goes on to say, are there even mental health professionals out there who would be willing to go beyond simply providing treatment, sympathy, and moral support for my pain, who would legitimize 
who would actually personally validate and support my wanting to end my chronic incurable condition with a measure of dignity, should that ever become an available option. So I think that is why we need to do what we're doing, but we also need to keep in mind that as an organization, we can try to meet these needs as effectively and as efficiently as we can, but there are still gaps in the system in terms of that access to resources, appropriate community-based supports that go beyond just this peer connection that, yes, we have been a leader in, but we also need to expand that. This is the responsibility. I think we have a collective responsibility here uh, to make sure that we are well-equipped to support anyone who is considering Maine for whatever reason that may be. This is a place that we do not want to discriminate to stop access, to stop that ability to seek the support that they so are longing for. But we also need to know that it can't just be any one group. It needs to be all of us having this conversation together. Thank you. I think what I really appreciated in all of that, and I appreciate it at all, but particularly we had a guest, Kathy and myself had the opportunity and privilege to speak with Jill Bodak. And she made a very interesting comment about how all Canadians are not accessing MAID. One at a time, Canadians are accessing MAID. And when you spoke of that gentle person who wrote to you that email and described what they were living with, we really got a sense of that idea of collectively having these conversations and thinking about this evolving legislation, but also looking at humans case by case, really looking very carefully and thoughtfully and purposefully. Coming back to what both of you have shared, the important components of those psychosocial, who is the human being behind the request for MAID, the interest in MAID? Who is that human being? Mm -hmm. Thank you both for this incredible conversation. This has been wonderful. And I want to say thank you to you both, not only for showing up for our podcast and sharing your thoughts and experiences, but also for all the work that you are doing for squishy human beings out there and helping us all to think differently about our collective responsibility. And Lauren, again, as a social worker, what you said, I do think we have a collective responsibility to take good care of each other and to support each other through our diverse experiences, one of which might be, for some of us, medical assistance in dying. And I know I am grateful that Bridge C14 is out there that the two of you are leading the way and that you are using peer support to do this because who else knows it better than those people who have had a experience in the area. So thank you so very much for joining us. Is there any final thoughts or anything that we didn't quite touch on that you were hoping we'd get to? I just want to say thank you for this opportunity. This is incredible. I'm someone who to talk about made all day and be a voice. And I'm happy and honored and privileged to be a voice for many who don't have the platform to be able to stand on or the strengths or the energy to be able to do that. So I am always happy to champion the causes that mean the most to me. And certainly made has become one of those in my life. Wonderful. Thanks, Lauren.
Yeah, I'll echo what Lauren says. It really feels like a privilege to be doing this work and to be meeting all of these people at this phase of their life. It's a really unique and special experience that I'm honored to be a part of. And I wanted to add, I've written a children's book that I'm hoping is going to be ready for launch towards the end of the summer. It's based on my experience of guiding my children through my mom's maid. And it's called Pancakes with Nana. And it's really a lovely story about a bond between a grandmother and their grandchild and all those special activities they do together. Also weaving in education and information about MAID and how to present that within a family, some tips and ideas for parents and professionals about how to guide children. So yeah, that's going to be available soon. And to my knowledge, it's one of the very first children's books about MAID in Canada, maybe even the world. Possibly even the world. I'm a dying death and loss educator and I'm off to grief camp. And I know that MAID comes up. And so as a dying death and loss educator who works with littles in particular, the fact that you're adding to our trousseau of tools and things that I can use in my own practice is just incredible. So I thank you. And it's enthralling to think what your book will open for the rest of us educators out there. Because again, you're bridging those gaps. So thank you very much. Thank you. I think we could probably all use a book like that. There's such tremendous need. It's taken three years, almost four years to get it published. And Every month I've got people, when's it ready? When's it ready? So I just, you know, I'm feeling that need to get it done, get it out there. Oh, congratulations. And to both of you, it has been phenomenal to be on the outside of Bridge C14 and just watch it grow over the years and to lead creative and needed programs. So yeah, you know, I'm a fan. So thank you. And thanks for carving the time out today on your busy days. Oh, yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you for doing this. What a conversation. Incredible. Oh, I really looked forward to talking with both of the women and really more to the point, hearing and listening. And wow. And I wanted to sign up to volunteer, except I don't have the lived experience in this. And I love that Bridge C14 is peer to peer support. Exactly. I too felt enthralled to the point where I thought, wow, my hospice volunteering, maybe that should look more like Bridge C14. But uh, again, no lived experience. But I think, though, what's enthralling is the idea that I too, speaking for myself, and I know you're out there walking the talk, is that what we're doing as individuals in the community really speaks to the values that Bridge C14, the ethos, you know, why, why they exist and why they need to exist. And I know, again, as a grief camp volunteer, that medical assistance and dying is starting to come up at grief camp. And so those ideas that were definitely out there in our own circles, having those conversations and being able to refer people to Bridge C14, virtual supports, regardless of where you are in the nation. But I think it was Chelsea who implied hearing from people globally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when Lauren talked about, as you know, a fellow social worker, the collective responsibility that we have as Canadians, I got goosebumps because I think we really do. And Bridge C14 is a great way of bridging those spaces, but also as a call to action for us to recognize that we do have a collective responsibility in there. And so between Chelsea's new book for kids that's coming out, 
recognizing that Bridge C14 is always going to be growing and changing to be able to best support and meet the needs of Canadians who are pursuing MAID. I really like that term. Grateful for all that they do. And again, thinking about all the people who are involved in a decision about MAID really from the outset. So Chelsea's book, speaking to the littlest of the people who are involved in the pursuance of MAID. And also knowing that we dying death and loss educators need to have those tools and resources on hand. And you taught me in those early days that we worked together. Children are not immune to dying death and loss and children are not immune to medical assistance and dying experiences. And I'm grateful that Bridge C14 is out there for all of us. And I know that they will continue to grow and expand their programs. So this was such a good conversation. Mm, absolutely. Yeah.